Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. Our special guest today is Ari von Benekum. Ari is a co-author of the Agile Manifesto and an Agile thought leader at Wemanity. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Hi, Ari. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Richard. My pleasure. Hey, is there anything else you would add on to that introduction? Oh, well, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, family man, I have two children, uh, a daughter-in-law. I have a beautiful girlfriend, two wonderful uh, bonus children, as we say these days. I have a granddaughter. Uh, I love my motorcycle, my bike. Uh, I live in the countryside in the Netherlands, uh, you know, windmills, uh, cows, uh, wooden shoes. Uh, they're real. In case, in case people think it's a joke, no, it's not. Uh, where I live is in the Netherlands, in Europe, uh, of course. Uh, I live, for those who know the Netherlands a bit, uh, 20 kilometers straight east from the beautiful city of Rotterdam. And I live very uh, close to the tourist attraction of Kinderdijk, where you have those whole row of windmills forming a beautiful, extremely smart water management system designed hundreds of years ago. Yeah, so that's where I am and who I am. That is amazing. I, I love that. I love that term that you, you all have in, in, you're not exactly Northern Europe, but in Europe, you have this term, bonus children. I love that term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have two bonus children of my own. I really love that term. Yeah, yeah, then you know what I talked about, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. So this, this podcast is about teams. I love to ask people about the best team they've ever been a member of in their life. And this could be any kind of team, a work team, a non-work team, a creative team, some university project team, you and your girlfriend, you and your family, you and your bonus children, yeah. any group of two or more people aligned with common goals. That's how we define team here. You could define team any way you want. Yeah. What's the best team of your life? What's the best team that you were ever a part of in your life? This is Whoa, this is such a, a difficult question because you can you have you know, different areas in your life. Um, because I like the way that uh, I was a team with my parents and my brother when I was young, really. And actually yesterday evening with my brother because he lives downtown, uh, you know, had my drink and we do that on a regular basis. Um, uh, maybe I would say that I like the way my parents were a team. Um uh, I, I also think that um, when, when I was writing the manifesto, when we were writing the manifesto in 2001, um, I was working for a company in the Netherlands called SoVision, and we had this very steep growth curve. You know, we would go from 24 to 700 to two and a half years, autonomous growth. And it was not about all being perfect, but there was this very shared... And, and you, you have to imagine in writing the manifesto, when you see things like trust people to get the job done and maximizing the work not done. My my part of the contribution was, you know, in that part, based on how we worked in there and we were self-organizing teams to the max. And, and that was amazing. You know, we did everything from innovation and business development to sales and contract management and delivery and... HR and hiring, firing, and evaluation and rewarding, everything, except for sending invoices to customers. And that was, that was amazing. Not only that organization, Soul Vision as a whole, but also that team that I worked in uh, around the time that we wrote the manifesto. Yeah, awesome. But there are many more beautiful... What was the name of the organization again? Soul Vision, with an S. 
Yeah. Doesn't exist anymore. All right. Has been now, bought by uh, by one of the the larger uh, uh, consultancy firms, but uh, that was an absolutely massive experience. It, I worked there for ten years. Yeah. Okay, so subjectively, you just shared some of, some of the, the the experience with us about uh, this this huge rapid scaling from a few people to hundreds of people, <laughs> uh, trusting people to get the job done. You, you basically did everything it took to get to, to get the job done and make your customers happy. How, how do you know it was a great team? What what did it feel like? What su- subjectively, what was it like to be part of that group of people or, or any any particular sub team in there? What did it feel like for you? And, and how do you know it was such a great team? Uh, I always because people very often ask me questions in this direction, right? So so what was it like? And I think one of the most important characteristics for me is. I cannot recall in those days that I ever got out of bed being out of bed being unhappy. And people would ask me, how many hours a week do you work? I said, how, do, how should I know? I don't know. You know, and I was doing it at the same time. Uh, uh, also in the evening, I was uh, lecturing at the Rotterdam University. I was at one time lecturing at one evening in Rotterdam, one evening in Amsterdam and the university doing my supervision consulting during the day. We were supporting each other. And the innovation was amazing, you know, the the the, the new ideas, the the buzz, the people that I am connected with, uh, and that I really interact with, uh, still, you know, on the professional level, uh, every now and then, because hey, you know, this person might help you, this person might help you, you she knows this, very often are from this organization still. Yeah. Uh huh. Tell me more about this idea. of There was a lot of innovation. There were new ideas. There was a buzz. What what was that like? So uh, it's it's um, uh, March uh, nineteen ninety-seven, and I talked to a gentleman, and he and two friends of his, and also colleagues, by the way, and I knew him because I did quote unquote agile delivery projects for him in nineteen ninety-five, nineteen ninety-six, and he knew me, and he said, you know, I started this new company, and they had the, they uh, maybe you heard about the book, it's called the Semco Style from Ricardo Semler. And um, that was the idea of self-organizing teams, getting the max out of people, uh, also making people responsible, right? And taking the benefits, but when it's not really good, also, yeah, you know the effects as well. And uh, the idea was that you have a group of people anywhere from five to, what, 20, 25 or so, working on a specific product or a service or whatever. But the way you interact together within that group at one moment in time, there will be a subgroup saying, oh, we have this idea. And they would start talking about this idea. And if they would really, you know, want it, within weeks, they could have the business plan, just an outline set. They would select some people from the organization, had a couple of iterations on the plan, and they would you know, split off and start a new team. So when I joined in 1997, we had three teams. And um, when the company was uh, bought by a consultancy firm, uh, in 2003, I think it was, I think we had like between 25 and 30 teams. Really interesting. Yeah, so you get that innovation as it, I mean, one of the things, especially these days with the pace of, of innovation and technology that we have in the world, you cannot rely when it comes to innovation on proof of concept processes or that kind of, you know, the old school way. You have to, Innovation has to be part of your daily operations, I always say. You know, the, you have to continuously help trigger, motivate people to to look in different angles. I, I hate the phrase out of the box, 
right <laughs> to get so it's going that kind of stuff and and we it was man it was unstoppable the only the, one of the biggest concerns we have we, we didn't have a lot but the biggest concern that we have is uh, uh people not getting in a burnout because everybody was working during the day at the client side in the evening at the office working with people and that kind of thing yeah it was amazing so so what about this idea of I don't know, I don't know if you're saying or if you're implying or if I'm just hearing it this way that you can't have a process for innovation. Did, did you just create this atmosphere and innovation happened or or what was it that that fomented all of this all of this activity? Yeah, I I think it's not, you know, binary. Uh but um you cannot plan innovation. You cannot say, "Oh, we have this new brilliant product ready on May 1." Right? It's it's not going to so in the day in the in the in the, the days that we live in where we are 2022 with a pace of innovation on the tech side you know where the technology is offering so fast new uh, opportunities right so you have technology that is not only helping you in in the way you work but it's disrupting entire business models sometimes in months right and that means that you have the the, the next one, the follow-up of your brilliant product or service that you put in the market, you have to have it ready. If you're a governmental organization, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that laws have to change because of new developments, what technology offers to maybe competition, threatening your own national market, uh, terrorism, uh, whatever, you, you, you have to understand, you have to respond fast. You have to have solutions ready. You have to have integrated chains of development, you know, from your organization to suppliers, to your clients or the people that are using your service if you're government. You have to, to have different dynamics, closer collaboration. And uh, the one thing that is your beautiful, brilliant product today might be obsolete on July 1. So you have to continuously work. If you continuously work part of your time on innovation, you will have a lot of things that will fail, will not get there. But you will always have those things that are going to help you out also ready and there to help you to survive. And I think that's the, that's the reason why innovation is so important these days. And it, that pace of innovation will only go up and will never slow down. So you better be ready. Right. Yeah. Now let's go back to, let's go back to Solvision. I don't know. Could, could we talk about one particular team there? Like is the, the founding team or some other team at Solvision? Is, is there a particular team? Yeah. Uh, uh, let's just take my own team, right? Um, uh, so I joined in March, 1997 and, and I was, we had three teams and, and I was asked to, to, to be, in the, the, the team that was, uh, uh, let's say, in the software development kind of, kind of working. And uh, I was asked to take more or less the lead. We didn't have any management, uh, and every team did it in its own way. You could have someone having the lead. You could have that position every three months changed. You could have two people having the lead the way you want it, right? And I remember that one moment in time, I split off with a colleague of mine, um, and we said, we are going to work explicitly on uh, DSDM, Dynamic Systems Development Method, because in 1994, I, I started working with mostly rapid application development, I would say. In, in the late 80s, I was doing, in hindsight, what you would call pairing, just trying to experiment what would really help, and then into rapid application development kind of way of working. And I got connected to the DSDM consortium with that guy, by the way, because he joined the team that I was leading at the time. Um, and 
we uh, we got a connection with the DSDM consortium. Uh, we did the certification. I remember the moment that the DSDM started the chapter here in the Benelux, Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg, and we got into the chapter right away. Knowledge sharing, right? That's what it's all about. Um, and what is very important for me is, of course, you have to focus on your revenue because your revenue has to be there. Because if you don't have the revenue, you cannot do the other stuff that's important for the company, such as innovation, for example. Um, we started growing. We started uh, uh, recruiting people. They joined us. Most people are still in contact with me. Every now and then, somebody from the team will ask me, Ari, can you do a talk at the client where I am? Or can you do a talk at, you know, whatever? And very often I, I go there and I do this. And we were completely in, in so let's say, in what we did, we were completely, you know, free to choose what kind of a delivery we did. So when it comes to what we call agile transformations today, I remember sitting down with the vice president of a big bank, you know, one of the top three banks in the Netherlands, at the office of Solvision with my friend Cor and talking about the transformation of that bank. This is 1998. Um, and it was masterclasses. It was talks. It was coaching. You know, the, the word agile coach didn't exist at the time, right? But that was what we did. And the, the, the people that founded the organization had one thing only. If you need our help, let us know. And if there were things not going well, and of course, it wasn't all you know, beautiful and roses and wonderful. So things went wrong. They would give a course and know what's going on because we can see some things are not going well. And they would try to help out. Um, and uh, that meant that, you know, one for me, what is very important in that specific team uh, is that we could rely on each other. Still, I am in contact with Gert. Core is a little bit less because he has his own uh, uh, area. He's, he's not in my area working at, at the time. Uh, Ali is still, uh, you know, in my contact list and you try to reconnect sometimes with them. So you have you have those people, you know, around. They have, I maybe, you know, like when you're a child, right? You have this time in your life when a lot of things are settled in your brain and this is how you perceive life. This is your, your starting point. And I think in hindsight, because I, I joined um, uh, Soul Vision uh, when I was 33, um, and, and I left when I was 43, uh, but I think especially the first six years, they set the scene. And, and one of the most uh, remarkable things for me is when you talk about self-organizing teams, I've never been in an organization when I have seen it working like this. People struggle. People always start at the, at the beginning, you know, or oh, you're a self-organizing team. And they will start talking about how do we do it with the shares. And then we, then we start talking about, you know, the, the people on the team. And we said, okay, you know, what do we put in the market? Where do we start? What, what do we think that we like to put in the market? And that's, and who, who would be nice to work with, with us on this? Oh, do you know someone? Yeah, I don't know. And that kind of thing, you know, that was amazing. And I remember that one of the guys that I work with, and, and later on I returned working with him, he said, Ari, uh, he passed away, sadly, uh, two and a half years ago. I think two and a half years. And, and sadly, um, uh, he said, uh, Ari, I think if you want to have success, you need to be able to, to like each other or maybe be friends. And that was, and of course, you're not friends with 700 people and you don't know even all 700, but the teams that are close to you and similar to you, you know, still today, I have people from that time said, Aria, I think I have a job for you. And I was asked, so hey, I, I think I have someone for you. Because you know each other. You're in, you're in each other's frontal cortex, right? And I think that's the difference. Um, I, I, I love that idea of uh, 
you, you like each other, you're, you're friends. You can't be friends with everybody in the whole company, but those people who are, who are near you, for sure. You also started off by saying, uh, uh, you, had, you said a couple of things like, you never got out of bed unhappy and uh, you, you never kept track of how many hours you worked per week. And it was definitely a lot, especially when you add on all the extra teaching you did. How about objectively? Are there any measurements uh, anything that somebody from the outside could observe objectively? How would somebody know that, that this was a great team or these were great teams? Two things I would say. When you listen, you know, I was in the DSDM community. That was a large community. And the, the back office, Mary Hansen, was responsible at the time of the DSDM consortium. And she gave me a call. And, and she said, uh, Adi, do you want to go? I said, yeah, I think so. And actually... I can point it because there's a church two kilometers away and I was driving exactly there. And I said, you know, I'm home in, in a couple of minutes and I can tell you, I was married at the time still. I can tell you. And then people would say, uh, oh yeah, but before they called Ari, they called me. And one of the things that you will see in those successful companies is that it's not about who get the call. It's about who says yes, right? People say yes. You only get somewhere when you say yes, right? When you would have walked into that office, the office, Richard, you have to imagine the city of Delft, close to The Hague, beautiful, I think 150-year-old house, a mansion in, it was the old mayor's house, actually. Um, and uh, at the ground floor, there was a big pub because the founder said, best ideas are born in a pub, not in office rooms. And you would walk in and there would always be that bus. Uh, it was not that we drank alcohol during the day. Don't get me wrong, right? But we had to say, it, it's just a pub, right? Wooden floor, brass, mirrors, bottles of booze, tables, sitting there, you know, beautiful, beautiful uh, design on the inside. And, and we would sit there and you would, if you would walk in, you would say, man, this is a cool place. Here I like to sit. Give me a cup of coffee, man. Let me sit down. And I think that, that, and people gave that back to us as well, right? Because you invite people to your office, obviously. And uh, I think that buzz, that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. You would notice that instantly. Love that. That buzz. And this idea that it's, it's like someplace really warm and inviting and where you, where you want to be. Yeah, and especially where you, where you don't have ideas that are rejected you know how it works oh yeah now well that's a great idea but it doesn't work for us no 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 no. oh you have an idea let's sit down tell, tell me about the idea oh if you talk about this kind of thing uh i'm not maybe the most logical guy to talk but just go to richard maybe richard can help you out and if richard does maybe somebody else instead of saying no you help people forward all right so so there's an example of a concrete behavior that 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 maybe you, you used on these teams uh, not saying no to each other, like actually opening it up to, to people's new ideas. Uh, what are some other concrete things that you did, some other concrete behaviors that helped these teams be so amazing? Um, let me tell you that as an outcome of this group, a lot of uh, people have got to really good positions in business. And, and I also mean governmental organizations. They really got into good positions, very wide-thinking, creative brains, right? Um, but I can also give you a, a downside of that because, um, you know, we were working day and night because it was so fun. Uh, we, I think we had a serious uh, number of burnouts. 
And I remember one of the, the at this time, young ladies, you're just getting out of university, joining us. Awesome. You can do whatever you like. And I go on with it. And she's living now in the north of the countries. And I remember her saying to me at one moment in time, she said, Ari, I want an office. I want a desk where I can put the photograph of my boyfriend and a plant and my, my, my computer so I can work. And we didn't have desks. Our founders didn't have a room. We didn't have parking places. The space was for those who were there, period, right? And nothing else. That's another behavior. Um, and I remember when we, were, when we changed uh, to, uh, when we were bought by one of the consultancy firms and in, in, during 2003, I got a, a, a team full of project managers. So instantly we got it back into old silos. Um, and uh, one of the guys, and at this time, I am uh, 39 years old. And this guy is 55, 56, 57, I don't know. And he calls me, it's May. And he says, you know, in the Netherlands, we have 20 to 25 days that you can take off for holidays or whatever, right? That's uh, a minimum is at full time is 20. We had 25. And he gave me a call and he said, Ari, um, you know, in uh, the audition this date in August, can I go on holiday? And I was baffled. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Are you asking me if you can go on holiday with your family? What's this? What's this? And the only thing I asked, I said, uh, he said, yeah, you're my manager now. And he was coming from the other side of the organization. He was not part of the, the organization's vision, but from that consultancy firm, he was just blended into my team. And I said, Gerard, listen, man, it's very simple. What I like is that your client knows and is okay with the fact that you go. And the fact when you're out is that one of your colleagues that is available will cover your <clears throat> behind uh, while you're out so the work can go on. And nobody drops to a standstill. And you know, that kind of thinking is, I remember, I, so sometimes, you know, you get in those situations, people are asking you, when are you going on holiday? And I got into situations where I was collaborating with people. So, you know, people have to ask me if they can go on a holiday. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. I will not spend my time on judging if people, adult people with highly educated people can go on holiday or not. They know that they have to make sure that the client side, everything is okay. They know that they have to make sure that the work goes on. I'm not going to interfere with that. I have other things to do. Right. That's the kind of thinking, right? It's like, That's it's a self like You don't have to give them permission. You're not their dad. You're, 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 a, you're a coworker who yeah. happens to be a little bit more senior. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so you have highly educated people and they need to ask you for permission to go on holiday. Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah. And this is what I like. The, I think, I think the, fra the phrase is from Steve Jobs where he said, I don't hire highly educated people to tell them what to do. I hire them to tell me what to do. Right? And that's wh where it's supposed to be. And I like, you know, when I was, before Solvision, I was working for a consultancy firm. And I had, so this was teams of up to 50, like with their own profit and loss across the Netherlands. Yeah, I don't know how many of those teams. And he was young. He was 30 years old when he was running, totally responsible, like a, a managing director. And he told me that he came back from, uh, from one of those managing directors meetings. So there's maybe like 40 managing directors. And some of them were complaining to him, oh, so busy, man, over overtime, and my wife is complaining, and blah, blah, blah. He said, Ari, I don't understand this. I said, we're a consultancy firm. If I have people available on the bench, 
that means I have people who can do the work for me. And if I have everybody working at the client side, there is no reason to do overtime. So I just don't get it. And that's the way of thinking that you need to have, man. It's people get so in those rigid processes and it's like, get out of there, get out of there. You know, make sure that the business runs properly instead of running according to prescribed processes and stuff. Right, right. All right, so how about advice for listeners and viewers? How can they take some of these practices and, and these ways of thinking and reproduce this success with their teams? Yeah, so I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. And I know it's a podcast, so the people will not be able to see it, right? What I... Oh, we're going to do... This, this will be a video too, so people will... Okay. Some, people, some people will see this. Yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> One of the things in, in agile working is that we do the retrospective, right? And a retrospective can be, can, be, can be a little bit painful because you've been working for a sprint and maybe something didn't go the way you wanted. And then if you don't point out what really happened, you cannot improve it, right? So that might be on the table that we have to say, Ari, you know, man, you messed up here. You really messed up. And what people tend to do is point at other people. Oh, you know, it wasn't me. It was the bridge that was open. That's why I'm late. And it was the, you know, whatever. And I think, I think people should understand that you are the architect of your own life. And that's about taking responsibility. And what I mean to say is, you're not, you're, you're not controlling what's coming over you. Forget about it. There will always be things happening. I remember the weekend that we wrote the manifesto, we didn't expect that the manifesto would be so impactful in the world. Secondly, that same weekend, my wife decided to divorce me. And thirdly, the house was on fire when I was in Salt Lake. So if you want to talk about life-changing events that you don't control, there you go, right? It's you quite a weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the point is, you don't control what's coming to you, but you decide how you handle it. Uh -huh. And walking away from things, denying things, blaming others, being suspicious to others, having bad intentions, it doesn't work. See what you can do yourself and make that happen. And then, then you wake up every morning being happy. I mean, I mean sorry, man, that's, that's how, I, how I perceive life. And yes, I have my bad days too. Um, especially when I visit my brother, like we talked before the recording started. And we have one of those evenings that you think, okay, I should have gone home earlier, right? Um, but I love, I love my life because I know whatever is happening in my life, uh, uh, I, I decide on what's going on there. And if things aren't, because things happen to me that I don't like, of course, uh, but then I take them on. I only worry about the things that I have an impact on, the things I don't have an impact on. I just accept or I leave, I go out. That's also, you know, then I change place. It's also possible. But that makes your life easy, right? I focus on the things that I want to do. All right. And um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Any, anything you're thinking about recently, working on recently, anything at all? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I so man, I can now we can do another podcast of twenty four hours, right? Um, <laughs> but one of the things I was just before we did, we started our our our, our video conference here. I was talking to um, a, a, a business colleague, friend from Germany, Sebastian, and he he calls me. He says, Ari, I'm doing this masterclass, agnostic agile. 
uh, would you drop in for half an hour or an hour or so to talk to the team? And, and I said, yeah, sure. I, if I have the time, I will. So I just dropped in. I helped them out there from a big, well-known uh, car manufacturer, the, the team that he was training. Um, and I helped them forward. I'm not charging money. I'm just doing this because Sebastian is my friend. And, and uh, he said, hey, Ari, you know. And I think instead of translating everything into money all the time, I mean, you have to have a decent living. Don't, don't get me wrong. But what about spending your wealth, whatever your wealth is, a little bit with somebody else in the world who maybe needs it in that moment? Um, and, and I had a, a friend who was in financial very difficult positions all the time. I never threw clothes away, you know. I would say, hey, man, you need anything? And if we would go to the pub, I would pay the bill for a couple of beers that we did. Uh, helping, you know, when my boys were growing, uh, the clothes would be, okay, that, that doesn't fit you anymore. I would just check out and I would know this family that doesn't have a lot of money. They have children that are just below mine, right, in this size. And I would give them the clothes, right? Helping people out is what we don't do very often. Um, and, and, and help means that you give without asking anything in return. That's when you help. And we should do it a little bit more. That is great advice. Thanks so much for what sharing. Money, that. right? Helping people, <laughs> not money. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and, and how could listeners and viewers contact you? Uh, I think the easiest way is LinkedIn. Um, uh, I always say when you connect to me on LinkedIn and in the direct message of LinkedIn, you, you ask me a question, nine out of 10 within a day, you have an answer. It might be short. And if it's really too long, we will find 15 minutes to do a little video conference and then then we're good, right? right. Uh, that's, and it's that's the truth. Easy. That's how you and I connected. <laughs> yeah, well, that's no. Well, I mean, you're then the living proof of, of what I just said. And um, uh, uh, of course, you, you can uh, find me on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. And um, I have uh, arivanbenekum.com and, and I should update it. I know, but... I'm always so busy doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, we'll make it easy for people to find you. Uh, and I, di digitally, not not like in this in this house where you're. <laughs> well, if people are ever in Hardingsfeld, Giesendam, they're very welcome to send me that message and saying, "I'm in this and this pub. Do you want to come over for a beer?" And then I'll join you for a beer. All right, I'm going to keep that in mind, and maybe I'll be there someday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'll feel free to do so. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today, for joining all of us today on the podcast. Uh, it was really great getting to know you, getting to meet you, build up a little bit of friendship here. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Richard. And uh, maybe we'll meet in the future. There's there's a globe in between us, but you never know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks so much. And listeners and viewers, remember to support this podcast. Visit my website, kasparowski.com. <laughs>